Hello everybody, welcome to this week's episode of the One Shot Movement podcast where we dive deep into the stories of entrepreneur and business people and sports stars, whoever it is that has an inspiring story to tell. Today we're going to be talking with Lance Baccioni. If you don't know much about Lance, he is a former AFL Australian Rules footballer that had a very good career over eight years in that industry but dealt with some serious demons around anxiety, mental health and at one point in his life was on the verge of suicide. That awakening alone, he then started a foundation called Love Me, Love You and that there's been a foundation that's really growing at exponential rates, getting those messages out there and we spent today's episode talking about challenge, struggle, adversity and what you can do to be able to fight your way through that. You're going to be very excited about this conversation around mental health, around the journey and what it takes to have success and come out the other side. So I hope you enjoy today's episode with Lance Piccioni. Okay, everybody, welcome to another episode of the One Shop Movement podcast where we talk all things entrepreneur, business, inspiring stories. And I'm super excited today because I've got a very, very special guest, Mr. Lance Piccioni, who has had an incredible journey to date. And I'm looking forward to talking to him more about that. But just a bit about Lance, he was a professional Aussie Rules footballer playing at the highest level, played just under 100 games of football in a, a great career there but where his story took a turn and we're going to talk about that is life after football and his journey is quite inspiring and now he's the founder of an incredible foundation called Love Me Love You so welcome Lance. Thank you very much looking forward to uh, having a bit more of a chat. Uh, just start off I, I guess we'll probably start with a bit about your backstory so people get to know you more and then we'll break it all down so what about <laughs> so if you want to just yeah dive into you know footy career if there's something important, even in child, whatever it is, just oh, go I'll there. I think, mate, we are like every other kid uh, growing up, uh, sport was my thing, and I love sport. And I come from a sporting background. My dad was a uh, soccer roo, a former soccer roo, so, um, so not a former one, he's still, you know, classified as a soccer roo. Um, so, sporting was our thing. I started playing basketball when I was, since I was four years of age. Um, I was an overdeveloped, decent European kid, so even though I was four, I looked like I was about nine. And, you know, but sport was my thing. I have a brother and a sister who I'm very close with and, you know, we sort of grew up, you know, playing the sports and doing our thing together. Mum and Dad, um, we were very lucky that um, Mum and Dad showed a great work work ethic and and sort of led the way of our life to um, understand what work ethic is all about and how we make sure that comes through. you know, but you know, the footy was my thing. Basketball was my, my thing until I realised I wasn't going to grow when I, when, I, yeah. when I was after I was twelve years of age. Um, but you know, then, then footy became my, my thing. But I was very lucky to um, go to a really good school as well. I went to Essendon Grammar, out pegs out there, and then you know, from grade six. And but you know, from the background that we had, you know, my my parents weren't wealthy at all, and, and there's no right. Um, there are reason that I was actually able to go to a school like that uh, due to the school fees. Um, <laughs> but my parents worked their, their bums off and dad worked double jobs and they made sure it was available to me to have a, a great education. And, um, you know, but uh, my challenges of my life, um, dealing with a whole range of social issues, and um, we'll say from, from school, um, not fitting in and not being um, my best possible version of me, um, you know, and that started from primary school right through to you know high school, and even even when I was playing footy, um, you know. But I, uh, you know, I was very grateful for the opportunity. I'm grateful, more grateful now that I had the opportunity than I was at the time. But you know, life was um, also pretty tricky uh, inside my head. You know, I um, had a whole range of anxiety issues, uh, which sort of pronounced themselves um, when I was in high school, um, off field. When I was on field, life was great. Um, mm. You know, we talk about finding our escapes in life and, you know, me playing sport was my escape. Um, it was the only place that I felt safe and I felt I belonged. And, you know, I was uh, from right from a, a junior age, I was, you know, um, 
winning national awards and state captains and all these sorts of things for footy. And um, but moving through with that, as I said, off field, um, it was a whole range of issues that I wasn't knowing, wasn't knowing how to how to have the conversations about it, how to talk about what's going on in life, and you know the conversations about you know I had to say to you twenty five years ago, anxiety. Mm. You would have to look it up in the dictionary, probably. You know? Yeah. So, um, you know, I understand the difference between being anxious and actually having anxiety, and you know, but un- unknown um, conversations around that and the resource or the education around that it was not knowing how to deal with it. Mm. Um, but as I said, because I played footy, life was okay. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, I was training pretty much every night. I was playing two games a weekend, and life was really good. Um, and because I was playing footy and you know, this is the world that we live in, especially in Melbourne. Um, you know, if you're a footballer at a school and you're still getting in trouble, it was all okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's just the football guy, so I just leave him alone. Um, but, you know, moving through that, and then you know, I was very lucky to play AFL for a long time. Mm. Um, you know, I played eight years. On, I was on the list for eight years. And I had a great couple of years off-field more than on-field when I was in Adelaide. And I first got drafted to Adelaide Crows. Um, you know, I was there in an era, their, their golden era. Um, mm. And so I was there in 98 when they went back to back in their premiership years. So, you know, and, and you know, sharing a locker next door to uh, Darren Jarman mm. uh, was just something that you just dream about as a kid and thinking, mm. what's going on here? And, um, but as I said, I was more, I was better off field than I was on field at that stage. Um, <laughs> and then, yeah, and then it continued on and went to Hawthorne, which I was very lucky to be, same thing, you know. Walking into a locker room with like, like Shane Crawford and Paul Salmon and these guys in the world, yeah. it was amazing. And then uh, at North Melbourne, and and then it all got a bit hazy after that. That's for sure. And and uh, I guess yeah, you had a great career. Like you know, anyone that plays at the highest level in front of a you know a hundred thousand people, sometimes you know that you think life is great and everything is great, but. You know, your I guess the transition from football to where you are now. You know, that's yeah. It's a real hazy story. Um, it's about understanding that when you're in a professional atmosphere, and like when I first started AFL, wasn't you know we we're training first like six o'clock in the morning. Guys are going to work and then coming back to you know to train at five o'clock at night. That was that was what it was. Um, so when I was playing, it was really transitioning into that professional full time. Um, atmosphere and then but I got really nice with that and yeah because the structure with it and we all we all respond well to structure and having that sort of un, um, sort of confidence in knowing what we're going to do when we need to do it and how that works um, but then when you lose that structure um, some guys really enjoy the freedom mm. and some guys really take advantage of the freedom as well yeah um, or, or girls no matter what who they are um, for me my issue became that because when I my mental health issues that I had, so yeah, depression. When we trace it back, my depression um, reared its ugly head um, my early twenties. Um, you know, from a whole range of things that were going more sort of around footy based sort of stuff. Um, you know, performing injuries and mm. not fitting in and all that, and that was just sort of really getting some real dark moments in my life. And you know, my grandpa died. I didn't well deal well with the grief there. Um, and then alcohol became my friend, you know, mm. and it was, it was a real, real close friend of mine. Yeah. yeah, not so much during the week as opposed to um, I need alcohol at night. But when I put myself in a position, the binge drinking was messy, yeah. really, really messy. And and then post footy, time, money, trying to find that escape, chasing that dragon, as people mm. keep talking about. Um, you know, trying to find that high. I, I found my high not in. Um, Achieving in sport, uh, I found that high um, in, in the party. Yeah. And, and it was pretty, um, got really out of control really quickly. Mm. Um, and I was doing some wrong things and I was, you know, just self destructive behaviors around that. But because I thought if I become, if I get to myself in a position that I need, I'm down, mm. I know how to get myself back up. Yeah. And that was through the, um, through the substances. Yeah. Um, you know, but, you know, the same thing, I, I was, I was Really, you know, really high functioning drug addict, we'll call it. Yeah. Um, you know, I was a PT in the city for a long time uh, post footy. So when I was about 26, 27, I started um, PT in the city and it was quite come quite successful really quickly. Mm. I think it was the same thing because I played footy. People wanted to train. Yeah. With the footy guy, that's yep. you know. Um, 
so that was my life and but you know I was using pretty much daily yeah for a long time in my life and, and you know lost some good friends out of that and mm. um, yeah and then brought us to a position that uh, nearly eight years ago um, there's a sequence of, of experiences through that year in 2011 that brought me to a stage where I am um, nearly suicidal and thought hmm. this is not where life's at yeah um, and very luckily for me that I'm able to be able to share that story and be able to share the hmm. idea around um, you know it's breaking that stigma around that and talking about storytelling uh, a lot and, and how you share that story and how people connect to, to that ability of what someone's story is hmm. um, and you know to, the issue that we have with storytelling also on the other side of it is that people sometimes don't want to share their story because they don't think it's worthy of sharing. Yeah. But everyone's got a story. Everyone's mm. got a journey. Everyone's been through challenges. Everyone's been through some success. Everyone's mm. been through some great family times. Everyone's had some not-so-great family times, you know? Mm. But it's how we share those stories to the people that we um, that we care for and we surround ourselves with and make it, and make it work. And, you know, for me now, um, you know, I, I love sharing that story you know I'm mm. very I'm not regretful of the fact of being able to share I'm regretful of some of the decisions that I've made over time um, that put me in those positions mm. um, but at the time that I thought they were the best choices for what I was doing because that's what you do you know mm. you don't go into it thinking oh this is a terrible choice I'm going yeah. to do this <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and see which lands me um, you know I nearly lost my leg uh, a few months before I nearly suicided from a footy injury and infections that were coming from that so there was a whole range of things, you know, the alcohol and drugs went up another level, hmm. um, you know, and I was just dealing with some, with some pretty wrong dudes at the time. Yeah, and, and it's a common story too, like you're now inspiring people with what you're doing and we're going to move into that in a little bit. But just, uh, I guess, you know, was there an actual defining moment when you made that decision, you go, I've got to change something here or was it I, I know a good friend of ours Matt Pilios you yeah. know he you know he he was talking on this show about dealing with some mental health issues himself at a period of time and you know I guess for me even my own story with losing Ethan stillborn and that was like a, a point in life where I, I become a different person yeah. from that moment on yeah. um, how would you describe that yourself for me I think it was that moment where I was, so I was sitting on a roof. I was just in a, uh, a house we were living at at the time um, in East Keewell, but it was a big three-story house sort of thing. Um, not two stories, but you know, it was high, high enough to do some damage if it was going to happen. Mm. Um, I'd found myself in a position. I hadn't slept for a few days, um, and the hallucinations and everything that come from it. And you know, I got down. It was about three hours. I was up on that roof. So it was some pretty intense thinking and mm. thoughts that were going through at the time. And um, my light bulb moment was just the conversation of care that I had with my wife at yep. the time. Um, my mom's still my wife, which was my girlfriend at the time. Um, you know, that conversation of care that she showed and gave and wasn't, she didn't, you know, um, reinvent the wheel with what she said or anything like that. It was mm. just that genuine uh, care. And, and I had that as well, you know, and I genuinely had that care and support from some amazing people in my life, namely my mum, um, you know, to make sure that I was okay. But hmm. at that time when I was getting the help and support from my mum, I didn't really want it either. Yeah. The, the beast that was inside my head. And But the, at that time I was like, okay, and then I got the help that I needed. I put the plan in place. How am I going to make this work? Because I had two choices, either get better or I keep going down the same road and I'll be dead. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and we talk about being the same person. I always believe I'm the same person, but the the action of me as a person was a lot different yeah. to what it is now. Um, you know, I, was, I had a lot of care. I had a lot of empathy for people. I always like to make people feel good about themselves. Like we all do, you know, within, mm. within reason. And, um, you know, but I, I better understand my system now for for me and how I make me work. Hmm. which is the most important thing for me to understand is that how do I make me work and how do I make me work for the best possible version of me and so that then the other people around my life can have that positive impact and have the better, the better impact on what that life is. And, um, you know, you talk about inspiration. You mean you dropped that word in there before that I have this really tricky one around inspiration. And I think inspiration is um, 
a very uh, nice fluffy word that people use and where we understand mm. it, but inspiration lasts like that. Mm. Yeah. It's how do we find the motivation with those people? Yeah, mm. that's, and that's the thing we need to help people understand because motivation gives you a, a greater purpose of where you want to go and what you want to be. And inspiration is, uh, you know, I've lost, I've lost that feeling by the time I walk out of the stadium. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, but we, we need that inspiration because it gives that connection to what your motivation can be. But, mm. you know, for me, my motivation is to, um, in my life, is to get the best out of myself every single day. Mm. Um, because, you know, as you know from the experiences that you've had, that life's really short. Mm. Um, and people keep saying that, but, you know, don't think about what life will be over an 80-year period, which is to think about what life is now and what you're making to work now because you just don't know what tomorrow will be, mm. um, which is a scary thing in life. But um, if you keep thinking about um, it finishing, you, mm. you forgot about actually living it. You know? yeah. yeah. And I guess, you know, like from that point, um, when you say there, to start in a foundation, yeah. which like there must have been an interesting time there. Interesting time, ridiculous. So, and it happened really quick. It happened really, really quick. So, I um, I put a plan anyway. So I got my help that I needed. The psycho- psychology psychiatrist help, sorry, um, and the help from my people around me and my trusted people that I um, who were there for me at the time and really showed that sort of um, support and empathy for the situation. Um, I four months after I went clean, I um, gathered my my people together and said, "I want to do this. I want to." Yeah. Firstly, it was just going to be the, the walk from Sydney to Melbourne. Um, yeah. You know, because walking became my medication, became my escape. Yeah. Um, just getting out there and roaming the streets and doing my thing. Mm. Um, and then uh, you know, from from that moment, so that was May two thousand and twelve. We had that first meeting of what, what we want to do, but. It's amazing what you do when you're not um, influenced by substances or alcohol or mm. these sorts of things. You, you open yourself up to these opportunities to be able to do something. And um, had that first meeting with the, the crew, as I said, Matt Pillar's been one, and a good mate of ours, uh, Luke Livingston mm. as well. Um, had my mum, uh, Dutchie was in there that first meeting. Um, yeah. You know, and then I said, all right, well, and then we um, I put all the work in place and did all the research and know what I wanted to do and got it done and... Um, January 2013, we um, we became a, a legal charity. Um, yeah. You know, we had all the statuses and all the things and everything wow. that comes with being a charity. And, you know, just to think that that was about 14 months after I nearly suicided, I thought, well, that's, mm. you know, that's, you know, but I was very lucky that I had those people around me to be able to do that. And, um, you know, and then we put their plan in place and made it all work. And then in 2014, we launched. Yeah. Uh, you know, a good, good 12, 13 months after we became an entity, we actually launched to mm. the world. Um, properly um, with that walk from Sydney to Melbourne so um, yeah. and now you know I get to impact thousands and thousands of people's lives um, all the time and you know we're very appreciative and grateful of the opportunities that we have from our community people from our um, you know, people in the workplaces and mm. sponsors you know people that give us grants to be able to educate more people um, mm. people that participate in our walk our ride our, yeah. you know, everything and you know but in the essence we look at it also that it allows me to be what I want to be in life, and that is a, as a dad. Yeah, you know, it gives me a great opportunity to um, to make my life um, really beautiful with mm. my wife and and my, my two boys, and um, surrounding myself with those people. You, you know, what gets me to out of bed every day because mm. um, you know puts me to bed at night with a smile on my face. And, and before we talk more about the foundation, because I really want to talk about that and mental health and statistics to bring that to life, like your girlfriend at the time, now wife, living through your situation too, that must have been an in- incredible um, rock for you. <laughs> incredible, incredible rock. Um, the, she's taught me a lot. You know, taught me a lot about um, just how just treating people and being people and and, mm. and making sure that you're true to yourself and and how that works and um, you know there, there's certain people in this world that are born to be a, a, a rock mm. yeah um, some are really good at it, but at the same time my wife has an amazing um, 
uh, amazing resilience ability as well. So she has a range of issue, uh, challenges and um, issues that she's experienced from a, from a young girl to to up it is now. Mm. Um, you know, and you know the the mental health challenges that she's been through as well. So. You know, this is something that it's not to, um, as I said before, it's not just because it's not a, a, a such a tragic story to tell, but mm. it's, it's still a level of importance that you need to be able to tell that story. And for her to tell that and share that with the people around her uh, is amazing. And But her as a rock for myself and my two boys, um, you know, and, and all the people that come into contact with her, mm. you know, I'm very lucky. I count my, my, uh, my, my, my lucky stars every night and making sure and... You know, but the best way I can repay her through that um, is just doing what I need to do and, mm. and doing what we can do with um, the foundation, first of all, and, and as I said, and more importantly, as a, as a father. Yeah. Um, you know, because in the, in, in the reality of life, the most important thing about life is your family mm. um, and, making it, and making it work and having those amazing experiences um, and making sure that when... You know, when she needs the fan, mm. um, that you you got that foundation of care and support around you to make sure you're all you're all good. Yeah, and you said originally the vision was just this walk from Sydney to Melbourne. It's yeah. evolved yeah. into something quite considerable because yeah. I, I do want people, when we post this, I want people to, you know, check out your foundation yeah. and your walk and your initiatives and everything like that. Do you want to just share where it's evolved to? Oof, wow. So. When the, so the initial idea was that I was going to do that that walk from Sydney to Melbourne, and I was going to do that every year when we we're going to raise money for, for you know, just for mental health support and, and awareness. And um, you know, uh, Maddie and um, the guys and the guys said to me, you know, "There's more to what we can do, uh, and we can make a difference." Um, you know, and to think, even when we launched in 2014. Um, there wasn't mental health. You know, Beyond Blue was the one. Mm. You know, your headspaces were around. Um, there's a whole range of your bigger organisations, but in terms of a community levelled organisations, there wasn't a help, wasn't a lot going on mm. in that space. So we found a real um, point of difference of what we can deliver and how we can make it work. And you know, I was very lucky um, that I had an amazing mentor through that experience, um, a lady called Maddie Clements, who's now the director of wellbeing. I think um, for the Australian Institute of Sport, so wow. some of them knows what they're doing, you know. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and still to today, I'm in regular contact with her, just to, you know, just to chew the fat and make sure we're doing the right things in our space, and we're very lucky um, to have that relationship, and you know. But now we, we deliver. We were we were first targeted. Our demographic we were targeting at that stage was um, people fifteen to thirty, fifteen uh, men and women. Um, more through the highest, through the higher end of high school and through sports clubs because mm. of our history and my background with, with footy clubs. Um, we found a real sort of um, a need to help educate people in their sports clubs in an environment where we, um, where we feel safest. Mm. Um, but now our programs are, are tailored specifically uh, right through from kids in prep um, right through, you know, I've done some sessions and experiences with uh, people at Rotary groups and you know, mm. people in the 80s talking about the same thing. Um, and we go through the, the same steps, talk about awareness, acknowledgement and action, talk about understanding of how what support is, how do you engage in your support networks. And the reality of our difference is that we, we're not trying to fluff people through Look how amazing this life could be, and blah, blah, blah. we know that 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 the challenges hit, mm. and they hit real hard. Mm. Um, but how do we? We're becoming in a society now that we've complicated a lot of things, complicated a lot, and complicated the ability to have a conversation. Mm. Um, so what we try to do with our programs, um, you know, even through our campaigns, our events, is just simplify the process for people, mm. help you understand what it is that you can be doing for yourself. How do you lay those foundations of self care? How do you make sure that you're doing the right thing for you every single day? Mm. Not just thinking, oh, I'll get to it tomorrow. Yeah. You know, how do you become accountable to that sort of process? And, um, you know, because the longer you leave something, the worse it's going to get, mm. or the, the larger the impact that it's going to have on your life, um, not in a positive way either. Um, so we're really appreciative of what we can do. You know, our, we're mainly based in Victoria at this stage, but we have. Um, you know, run a relevant programs and organisations through the east coast of Australia. 
we're very lucky that we have a, um, our board now is is uh, of the highest of levels. Um, mm. It's an amazing the amount of experience business wise um, connections and networks that these that our board has. Mm. Um, we have you know, seven of us in the office now. We're doing wow. a whole range of things. We've got corporate impact manager, uh, community impact manager, and then we have digital. Uh, we have a support pathway program. We have a youth manager. Uh, a guy regional does all our regional work now. Um, so we're calling Farmer Lance. Um, so he looks like me, but farmer. <laughs> uh, unlucky for him. Um, but you know, and then uh, you know, we've got events people. We've got a range of people that uh, you know, volunteer wise, we go through the roof. Mm. Um, you know, but you just sort of walk into the office every single day and just appreciate the fact that. Um, we can do what we do. Yeah. Um, you know, we have a range of facilitators and, you know, corporate programs that we're able to deliver. Our partnerships, um, some of our program partnerships will take us across uh, all around Australia um, over the next couple of years, which we're really excited about. You know, we're going to a digital space now because you have to, because 2020, yep. you're not doing anything digitally, you're uh, being left behind. Um, but it's... What we help understand with that is that we we have a real focus on being a, a blended delivery program. Um, yep. So we're, people need face to face. You know, mm. us as humans, we thrive off the face to face connection and, and the energy between people, and people need that. Mm. Um, and as much as we say we need to be digital, we need to be technologically based with what we can do. Um, people still need this. Mm. So um, so we'll have an element, a high percentage stuff of our our programs and delivery will be through. Um, face-to-face ability uh, but also the issue with that is that when you leave what happens mm. um, you know in a presentation people take in about five to ten percent of actually what's said mm. so how do you make sure that, that sort of um, education and resource and support is an ongoing thing so you know we're putting a big investment into making sure that we can make sure that you know, we do have a lifetime of well-being, and that's mm. what our programs are around. So, how do people engage in a lifetime of well-being, um, not just start doing things when something goes bad? Yeah, and um, I guess mental health is a broad word. Um, broad word. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what, like, you know, just for the audience to understand a little bit about it, what's some statistics that would just shock people? Oh wow! Okay. Um, I'd say 100% of us know someone that's going through a mental health challenge. Wow. There you go. <laughs> uh, you, you have to. If you, if you don't know somebody, you're very, very lucky. Um, yeah. Um, you know, uh, one in five are experiencing a high-level diagnosed mental illness. Okay, so this is a difference between we have. There's a difference between a mental health challenge, which is normal things that people go through, you know, mm. and understanding stressful experiences or there's some events or things, that traumatic experiences or events that they've been through, and it becomes a challenge. Um, as opposed to when people are actually living with a diagnosed mental illness, okay? Um, you know, the suicide rate that is linked to uh, a whole range of mental illness um, and mental health challenges uh, is through the roof. You know, it, just, it, it, it actually decreased in the last report um, by about 200, this is what they're saying. Um, yeah, but it's on average going about 3,000 suicides reported every year in Australia. Um, mm. Across the world... There's about 800,000 suicides every year. Wow. Um, so it's one person every 40 seconds. Mm. So if you want to damn it, what this is doing in our, our lives is that a person dies every 40 seconds from suicide, which is mm. reported. Mm. Um, you know, and you can go from zero to hero if you do put the investment in, um, but you can go from hero to zero like that. Mm. Um, which is the challenges that we have a part of our life. But it's just you know, engaging those conversations to make sure that um, we don't we don't feel alone mm. in, in being able to share and being able to understand our story and what our journey looks like and you know there's a whole range of people going through a whole range of um, whole range of crap that uh, mm. nobody wants to talk about either. Yeah. Um, but you know, one in six kids will be diagnosed with an anxiety issue. For, you know, under 15 years of age. Like, mm. you know, we're dealing with you know, there's kids that have been reported um, uh, suiciding. Uh, you know, as young as eight, seven, eight years of age. Wow. That's, that's scary. You know, and it's a whole range of things and usually linked to bullying mm. um, and, and bullying for life in school and community and workplaces and, you know, mm. judgment that comes from being who you think, um, how you think you, your actions, 
and making you feel better about mm. what you're putting onto other people, but it's not. Mm. You know, this, this, the, the technology world of you know, cyberbullying and the mm. keyboard warriors is, is causing a huge effect on these kids as well. Um, you know, as parents, it becomes a quite a scary um, space to deal with, you know, mm. to live in because as much as we all think we're technologically advanced in what we do and how we go about it, um, the kids are actually, you know, they're three steps ahead. Yeah. They're, they're above it, you know. Um, you know, and the accessibility to information, the accessibility to connect with people through through all different platforms. Um, you can put up as many firewalls as you want and they'll find a way around it. Mm. These kids are amazing uh, in their ability to, to process it and do it and be it. Um, but it also puts them in dangerous positions, mm. um, you know, unsafe positions. So, you know, fifth leading, you know, suicide is a leading cause of death between the ages of 15 to 44 in Australia. Oh, wow. Um, you know, there's a high spike between um, the, the ages of 18 to 30 is a, is a lot. Um, three quarters of the suicides that happen are, are male, mm. which is not something that we're, um, it's not one of those awards we're, like, we're proud of winning. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, but there's, the last one I'll leave you with is on average there's about 180 suicide attempts per day. Wow. Per day, so it's about sixty-five thousand a year, wow. average plus. So you know, the, and people still don't believe um, their mental illness is real. They still don't believe mm. why people suicide. Um, but the more common symptoms you have, like tonight, um, for instance, I've got to go, which is one of those the sad parts of my my um, my role. Uh, love me, love you, and what we do is that I've got to go to speak to a. Um, after suicide support group um, mm. tonight, so our members uh, are part of this group um, have lost someone to suicide. So I've, I've got to go speak to these people and make sure, and hopefully make sure that you know they have a, a connection to why it may have happened. Um, we'll never have the answers because you'll never understand fully of why mm. people go down that space. Um, you know, but you know, knowing by my, my presence being there and all the other organisations that are doing amazing work in this space and, and allowing people to connect into a reality that we're all here together and, and these things and sometimes, uh, most of the time, um, we can't do nothing about. Mm. Um, hopefully we, 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 call, we stop the situation from getting to, to that point um, early. Um, so early intervention is obviously an amazing thing if we can do it. Um, but it's how do we educate those people to make sure that they feel um, like they can have these conversations, how they can actually understand what they need to be doing around their self-care, um, how do they actually embrace the ability of what this life and the opportunities of, you know, looking at the sky and, and realising that it is an amazing day out there. And, um, but mental illness is a beast. Mm. Yeah, and uh, when I'm just listening to all these statistics, there'd be one that probably would be impossible to track, but there's a rapid growth in just the everyday average person with substance abuse in terms of drugs and everything like that. Do you think that that's contributing much to mental health and how... Mental health challenges? Yeah, 100%. Yeah, but that's the chicken or the egg yeah. issue, isn't it? Um, you know, do you, do you go down the substances and alcohol track um, because you've got some mental health challenges or do you get your mental health challenges or mental illness because you've gone down that track? Mm. Um, yeah, and it works both ways, I think. Um, the, the issue that we have with alcohol is that it's a socially acceptable thing and, and as a culture, uh, an Australian culture, we um, connect in our ability to have a beer yep. with somebody or go out mm. wine to dinner or whatever mm. it might be, which is fine. Which is, mm. I'm not saying that anything against it because you know that's just still a good way of connecting with people and it's a, you know it's a culture thing and, and it's fine but it's when that people don't know when to stop mm. or they can't um, process their life without stopping mm. um, so and, and, and realizing their negative impacts by having too much you know, mm. what it can do to your system um, physically and and mentally mm. um, you know substances they're so very, so easily accessible. Mm. So easily accessible, you, you, you can you can find substances anywhere. Yeah, um, and it's not. And the conversation piece around people that get into drugs um, from a from society's point of view, it's always thought that it's a low socioeconomic issue. Mm. Um, 
but it's not. Mm. Um, you know, there's people in, in high um, positions in, in businesses and in communities that um, are drug addicts and they're mm. functioning and they're mm. doing and they're being and, um, and because they're able to function and do and be, uh, they don't think it's an issue that they're doing it, but uh, it's going to come and bite them on the butt, yep. um, which it did for me. Um, at that time, you know, I had time, I had money, life was was really good and I thought from from an external lens, you're looking at my, what my life was, um, you thought, oh, this guy just likes a party. Mm. Um, but my um, party was in a dark room um, pretty much every day. Yeah. So, yeah, and so that nearly put, bit me on the bum mm. uh, and really bad, but, uh, you know, we will help people understand is that around the choices you're making, you know, it's impacting... And it's not just you know, alcohol and drugs. We're talking about with kids with gaming. Mm. Um, you know, there's a difference between being a gamer, mm. yeah, which you mm. can play games and mm. do that sort of stuff, and then it's fine. Um, and, but as opposed to having like a gaming disorder, okay, yeah. where it's a full addiction to the gaming, um, and you're not doing the other things that are good that are a part of your life. And um, you know, addiction is something that is looked at. Is it's impacting the other parts of your life um, negatively. Um, no matter how small, then that's an issue. Mm. Um, not to say, as I said, same thing with alcohol. It, you know, if it's impacting your life mm. and the people around you, we have a child, we have an issue. Yeah. Um, yeah. Myself, I, I, I'd be lucky to have ten beers a year, mm. um, but that's a choice I made for me. Um, my wife doesn't drink either. Like she might go out and um, every blue moon and you know have a have a get a champagne, but um, it doesn't sit well with us at our house. We don't have alcohol in our house. Mm. Um, we, we, you know, when people come over, um, we don't present alcohol in a thing. But that's a choice that we made. Mm. Um, and you know, because for me, if I wake up, if I go out and have beers and I wake up with a hangover, the only two real people that, that matters most that that will impact is my kids. Mm. Um, you know, they want to play with dad, they want to do, they want to go, they want to be. And having two boys, you can't be off your gun. You're going to be on all the time from from seven o'clock in the morning when we're very lucky that they wake up. Yeah, um, you know, when they go to bed, they are 100 miles an hour, 100 uh, percent of the time. Yeah. Um, so yeah. And just, and just uh, I guess we were, we were having a bit of a chat beforehand, but a really important thing to bring awareness to and love me, love you was really conversational. You know, being able to come out and speak to people like males will often tend to bottle up their issues and you know if I think about my say impact and legacy moving forward talking about losing Ethan uh, stillborn challenges like there's not too many males that are that they'll just battle by themselves historically we're known to bottle things up and push through and just make it work Mm. Um, because you talked about uh, my wife being the rock for me um, before that we always believe that um, we can't show our vulnerabilities or express that you know, in a way that um, will show that weakness in our system mm-hmm. um, because we are such proud Aussies and proud men. and um, you know, But being, being able to share that to our real man uh, in this world will understand and be, have that full self-awareness of this mm-hmm. is crap that I'm going through I, I need to get this out um, mm. because we more we bottle it up and you, you talk about the, the, the to- if you have a toxic relationship with an experience that you've had um, you keep feeding that, to- that toxicity into your system mm. and you're going to pop mm. um, you know but by being able to share it you know my head when I talk about my life my, my stature and my life and how I look automatically um you know, it breaks down those barriers mm. um, and, and being able to open up those vulnerabilities and, and open up to the idea that if I don't reach out for support, I can't be supported. Mm. Like, I can't actually allow that support to come to me. Um, and we all need to be supported in our life because if we weren't um, needing the support or open ourselves up to support, um, we would isolate ourselves in our shed and think that life was okay. Mm. Um, but, you know, and that's, it's not just a, a male issue, it's only females. It's, it's society's issue. We're facing the challenges with um, the, the preconceived judgment that comes from sharing these challenges or mm. experiences or events that, that aren't sitting well with us. 
you know, and we're, we're afraid of judgment and we've become such a comparative society that we're always comparing ourselves to some, somebody else mm. and, and why can't I be them or why can't I have that and, mm. uh, as, as opposed to being grateful and mindful of the fact that we have amazing things that are a part of our life and be our ability to do and uh, the people that are a part of our life as well but um, and don't judge you know because you know who the hell are you to, to judge what I mm. do in my life and how I go about it I'm mm. not saying you specifically yeah. <laughs> um, but you know when people start throwing judgment out it, mm. it just it, it nails people mm. um, and, and it's it's not good it's not positive for society our community is being impacted really bad by it um, social media has a, has a has a big hand in that mm. um, you know always thinking okay I need to be that but all you need to do is be you mm. be your best version of you um, and if you can recognise the signs and symptoms around you not being the best version of yourself if you can recognise that earlier you're going to be a lot better off but it's also opening um when you talk about males, is, is opening them up to the opportunity to be able to share. Mm. Uh, creating a safe enough environment for them to be able to share. Um, don't have to have 12 beers with them and have that conversation at 3 a.m., mm. um, which historically has been the, the way in the past. Yeah. Um, but moving with that is, is, is creating that opportunity for them and opening up their eyes to the fact that we all go through it. Mm. We all go through some crap, and, mm. and you know myself, even still to today, I have um, you know a range of, of challenges that I have uh, socially. You know, I mm. think I'm a very sociable guy, but I have in overwhelming larger experiences with a lot of people. It really gets me, and I and I shut down and I bottle myself out. Mm. And I don't really like it, and, but I understand it. Mm. Um, you know, and and I have um, my better coping mechanisms to understand that as well. Mm. Do you think? Um, and what's your opinion? Obviously, a high-level sports person. How do you think, or do you in, uh, embrace meditation, for example? Yeah, I do. I do. I do it a lot. I do it every yeah. day, actually. Yeah. Um, I, I, when I went, when I went clean, I um, and I was doing a lot of soul searching and finding out who I was and how I was going about life, and you know, I really got into. Um, I was reading a lot of Buddhism books. Yeah. Really getting into it, and uh, you know, and to just teach me how to be. Uh, what I did with that research around that in the readings I learned how to become mindful while being active and that was my thing um, and, and, uh, and while walking you know, as opposed to meditation people always think that meditation um, is sitting in a quiet place corner cross legs hmm. away it's yeah. not from that's um, does it have to be done like that um, what I like to sort of help with understanding how I do it is as I said being active with it Mm. Okay, and, and I was even so I could get up at four o'clock every morning now. Mm. Um, uh, six mornings a week, I have, I have one morning off, <laughs> and because um, my wife just needs to sleep in sometimes, you know. Um, <laughs> so I get up at four o'clock every morning, I drive to the gym, and I'll um, meditate for about 15 minutes before yeah. I start actually training. Mm. Um, and I do lay down and just chill, but you know, I get up on a bike and I'll do 40 k's before I start doing some weights and all that sort of stuff, and you know. But being present in that situation, you know, and the next thing I know from start to finish, I've actually forgotten that I was actually on there. Mm. Actually, how do we become more present in that situation? And um, you know, a lot of footy clubs now in the professional world and professional sports, they're doing that. Um, you know, how to become more mindful in our situation? How do we slow our thoughts down? Not how we stop our thoughts. How do we slow our thoughts down? Mm. How do we slow our process down? Um, and you know, I think for me, it's taken a lot of investment, a lot of time, and a lot of energy to be able to do that. And I, even, you know, during the day, you know, I'll sit back from my desk and, and just sit in you know, a couple of minutes or bring myself back down and make sure I can make sure I can move forward with it. And you know, even before I go to bed, um, it just helps me with my breathing practices to mm. just what I, what I call disconnect to reconnect. Mm. Because if I go to bed charged up. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to have a good sleep, am I? Yeah. If I don't have a good sleep, I'm not going to have a good day the next day. Yeah. We're all human. <laughs> so, yeah, it's just that reconnecting ability. Uh, just at the end of every episode, always just fire a few quick questions out there. Um, uh, do you have a favourite book? Oh, no. <laughs> don't really no, read. no, don't read all podcasts uh, or is there a resource that's uh, just, yeah, uh, you said I listened it. to the, um, I recently had to drive back from Sydney and I listened to the, the Icarus. Ah, oh, yes. 
Um, I don't even know the guy's name that did it. And that was amazing. That mm. was really, really amazing. Obviously, uh, this one, it, 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 you know, one shot movements all over it. But uh, yeah. uh, I don't really listen to a lot of podcasts. I don't really read a lot. I read a lot of um, biographies and stuff. Yeah. Just finding those experiences. Yeah. Uh, and at the time, before obviously, um, you know, the, one of the, the great ones that I read at the time, the Lance Armstrong book, which mm. every, every other person in this world <laughs> has read, I think. Um, uh, until the actual uh, revelations of everything come out, and that's yeah. why I think I was so engaged in that uh, in that Icarus um, mm. podcast to find out what was going on and the amazing story that came. It was just like freaky and scary. Yeah, um, but you know I read kids' books every day, mate, <laughs> uh, and I love them. So the Gruffalo is one of my favourites. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what about? I guess you know you've gone through a pretty serious challenge is there a bit of advice along your journey that you've received somewhere it could be when you're playing footy that just has really held you in good stead um i think my wife it just it's just about being true yeah maybe you're true to yourself um mm. yeah and it's also why we're called love me love you Mm. You know, because I need to, I need to love this guy. Mm. And if I can't do this, the, the other people in my life can't have that impact, or I can't love you. Yeah. Because I keep filling up your tank. Yeah. Um, and, and a guy said to me a little while ago, he goes, "You, you just keep filling your tank up. Mm. Yeah, just keep filling up your own tank. Yeah. Because if you run on empty, you yeah." Can't run. Yep, yep, yep. They say on a plane, put your oxygen mask on first. Yeah, 100%. And that's the thing we talk. So we're recently doing a thing around, um, so we run a course through mental health first aid and, mm. and someone was asking what it's about. And, and it's the same thing that we do with normal first aid, the CPR and all that sort of stuff. Is, is that make, you, you're going to make sure that you're in a safe enough position to be able to do that. And that's mm. the same thing in life. You need to make sure that you've got you invested um, for, for you can invest others. Yeah. And in regards, you know, this Love Me, Love You brand is growing exponentially. Where do you see in the next three to five years that can, what can become there? Oh, we don't know. It's, how long's a piece of string? Mm. Right? It's, it's really, um, we're really in an exciting phase at the moment. And obviously, we've gone from that startup phase and baby phase and mm. people thinking, oh, that's all okay. Um, to a position now that you know we're about to launch into a big partnership with an organisation you might know called Bunnings. Yeah, not too sure if you've heard of them or not. Yeah. <laughs> they do sausages and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, with organisations like that, you know, Marshall White, we got a whole Marshall White Foundation, the, the Marshall White Real Estate. Um, you know, so we've got insurance companies, we've got all you know, in finance, we've got a whole range of companies from a whole range of spectrums. Um, that will partner with us so we can deliver more education um, to their people and support programs. But more what we like about our partnerships in, in what we do in that corporate space is that we we give back, okay? So we give them an opportunity to give back. So what they do is actually fund programs for schools and clubs that are connected to their zones or their business. Um, because schools and clubs, uh, you know, they don't have money. They're a volume. You know, a lot of them, especially the clubs, are volunteer-based programs and ability yep. to service anything. So, um, just because, um, and, we, and it's what we like. We make sure that this next generation of uh, people coming through the, our world is um, getting educated the right way and, and resourced the right way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we we hope to be um, have headquarters and people travelling all around the country, um, delivering more and more education programs. You know, in five years' time, we hope to be engaging. Um, you know, 100, 150,000 experiences face-to-face mm. every single year. Wow. Um, that's a brand, um, that's an idea, that's a vision that we've got, you know, so that, you know, in essence will bring us to, you know, 500,000 experiences over the next five years. Mm. Um, you know, we can positively impact one person out of that. They say we've done a good job, but we like to think that we're going to do a bit more than that. Mm. And just the last question, look, um, obviously you've got your walk coming up. Yep. Um, uh, you know, just share a bit about how do we find out about you, your website, your brand, your walk to find out more. Yeah, so we... Um as I said, from that walk from Sydney to Melbourne that we did, uh, launched uh, the idea that it was going to be our biggest fundraising awareness event for the organisation. Um, you know, it's now scalable, scaled down to a more accessible uh, event. So this year it's a 45, 30, 15k or 5k option, um, starting and finishing in Botanical Gardens, which yep. is going to be nice up and down the river and up and down the beach. Mm. Um, 
you know, jump onto lovemeloveyou.org.au. Uh, all the information's through there. You know, across the social media, um, you know, we, we have a good, pretty good presence and a good following through those positions. Mm. Um, and we want people to be involved because the March With Me is about helping people understand that we're never alone. Mm. This is our, our big catch is that we're never alone. Okay. Yeah. Um, and the March With Me event and our Ride With Me event and our, our, our crew that we do some st- cycling stuff through with Nice of Suburbia is making sure that people come together for the right reason. Okay. Mm. And a reason is to make a difference. And yeah. by walking and or running or riding or whatever it is from a physical well-being component, um, it's not so much the physical benefits that you get from participating um, or doing the physical stuff. It, it's the, the mental connection and the emotional connection that you get by being around other people that are wanting mm. to make a difference as well. So, um, yeah, so just on the website um, and, and get involved and get your crew together and, and make a difference. Mm. Look, I mean, this episode here has been a, a powerful episode. Um, there's a lot, been a lot to unpackage, um, talk about. Like, it's been, you know, very, 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 very deep and personal and you know i'm i'm sure uh what you're doing is going to be impacting so many people around the world and you know my my philosophy is live with passion and purpose it's you've got one shot at life go out there and give it your best shot and and that's um you know if what you're doing is like that and some so uh thank you for everything i appreciate appreciate the opportunity anytime i I get to talk about um what i do you know I, i speak probably a couple hundred times a year across a range of platforms and um, you know, as you said, even with your own story, you know, congratulations to you for being able to share that and, and providing an opportunity for others to do that as well. So, mm. thanks, Thank you. Cheers. Appreciate it. No worries. There were so many takeaways out of today's episode with Lance. Like, just imagine the struggle, the mental demons that he was facing to be at that point of suicide and how he's come out the other side and his story is such an inspiration to people all around the world. And it's a message that's really growing. As you know, this podcast is all about inspiration and education and helping people live with passion and purpose. I think you'd agree this episode really highlighted the importance of life and what that means you only have one shot at life go out there and give it your best shot as always if you love this episode make sure that you share it and and tag us on facebook social media whatever platforms you have Uh, give us ratings and feedback that's super important for uh, the different podcast shows out there so if you like this episode feel free to give us some great feedback my name's craig schultz i'm the host until next week we will see you soon as always say you've got one shot at life go out there and give it your best shot